Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh29. We have four hosts this week. I'm Randy Castingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet, and the website spampremer.com to help you fight spam. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig. I'm the host and producer behind MacMost.com, where I post daily Mac and Apple tutorials. And I also make lots and lots of iOS apps. You can find those at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am the founder of freeprintable.net, which offers thousands and thousands and thousands of free printable documents and templates, and also the creator of faxzero.com, which lets you send a fax anywhere in the United States. And if you have an opinion, you should fax your congressperson for free. For free. That's awesome. And I'm Leo Notenboom, chief question answerer out at askleo.com. I'm also the publisher of a couple of non-tech sites, notallnewsisbad.com, a daily antidote for, well, some of the stuff you might be sending faxes about, and <laughs> heroicstories.org, twice weekly stories of people just being good people. So, Kevin... Looks like you're up with the Supreme Court for some reason. No, we got to do what we did this week. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we did stuff. All All I did was go to movies with my kid, though. So, (laughs) 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 like I've said before, we we have the uh, the 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 movie pass, which I am not really sure is going to last throughout the the year that I subscribe for. So, we're just trying to use it as much as possible. So, you probably uh, got your money's worth already. I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm keeping track. I'm writing write down every movie I've seen, and I've seen like 14 now. and today we just saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is a documentary about Fred Rogers. And yesterday we saw uh, uh, RBG, which is either a movie about the Supreme Court's justice or the best movie about color spaces you'll ever watch. Um, and uh, we saw Ocean's 8 the other day. So, um, yeah, and you know, been, of all those, I really want to know about Mr. Rogers. How was that? It was, I, I didn't cry the whole time. <laughs> Uh, it was really good, really well done. Um, Great, I'm and, looking forward to that yeah, one. I, I I highly recommend it. Uh, so, and am I the unique guy who didn't watch Mr. Rogers? I mean, have you? I all? didn't. I, I I never saw him until I was an adult, and I just loved his style. Hmm. I did. I I certainly did. Grew up with him. Yeah, I, I watched him quite a bit when I was little. Sure. And uh, that's why Kevin and I are better people than both of you. That's true. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> if we if we both missed that humility episode, so. <laughs> what about you randy what do you what do you been up to i just wrapped up the 24th year of this is true but wow congratulations this week's column is is the end of year 24 and next week starts year 25 wow Holy it's cow. a long time in internet years yeah it is it's like 200 internet years <laughs> how about you gary uh, let's see. You know, I'm just uh, like I was saying before, uh, last week. I'm updating my apps. I accidentally created a new kind of solitaire <laughs> um, because uh, one of the things that I did was I took my second most popular solitaire app it's called Russian Solitaire. And there's a game Russian Solitaire. It's been around for you know 100 years or whatever. And my version of it uh, was supposed to be a true Russian Solitaire game, and I thought it was. I cleaned up some of the code and I added some features and I released a new version only to get several complaints from users that they could no longer make a move that they could make before. Hmm. And I explained to them, well, 
that's not a valid move. What are you talking about? But it turns out there was a bug in the code that allowed this odd move, and these people had discovered it. Uh, and they were upset now that they couldn't do it anymore. And I explained they couldn't well. cheat. They couldn't cheat. And I said, well, you know, but don't you, you know, it's supposed to be Russian solitaire. I should be providing Russian solitaire. If that's what it's called. But enough of them. Uh, you weren't about, Russian to put out a bug fix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, oh, so boy. I released a, a another new version of it that has that as an option, like a you know, as a. Very I was going to say you should you should make it a you know a click that you can. Uh, yeah, add the cheat in. So, what's Russian solitaire? You open a deck of cards, and inside there's a slightly smaller deck of cards. Smaller deck of cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give it like that one, I guess. Apparently, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's. I will tell you though, it is one of the most difficult and frustrating solitaire games so it appeals to a certain type of solitaire player if you like to just win a lot it's not for you if you want to lose 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 and then have that glorious moment where you win a game and you know revel in that that's that's russian solitaire in soviet russia's solitaire plays you <laughs> exactly <laughs> so anyway. i'm surprised you didn't uh, offer the uh, that cheap move as an in-game purchase yeah really. yeah Oh, sure. You want that back? 99 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Not <Yeah>. too late. <laughs> yes. I think Gary's philosophy is why, why create uh, an, an option within a game when you can just launch a whole new game? Yeah, there you go. I should have, I should have created like Russian Solitaire and the Russian Solitaire, you know, something else, you know, Alpha or something like that. <laughs> Download that app. Come on. You know, I don't know. <laughs> How about you, Leo? Yeah, what about you, Leo? So I spent last week out on the beach uh, in my travel trailer with uh, my wife and our dogs at Camp Corgi. It's something we uh, and a number of other Corgi owners in the area do every year around this time. And that was a lot of good, lot of good fun. A lot of, lot of fun watching the dogs run around on the beach, having some potluck dinners and so forth together. Um, I am not planning on actually promoting the, you know, a link to the pictures to my uh, regular audience. So you have I'm a podcast exclusive? A podcast exclusive. There'll be a link in the show notes um, just for a, a collection of pictures that I took while I was out there. Coincidentally, you won't see me uh, only because I'm behind the camera and never in front of it. But uh, you'll get an idea of, of what we were doing and the fun we were having. So how many, I looked at the about pictures. how many corgis were out there? We had we counted twenty altogether. We had twenty dogs, mm. which actually is a little on the light side compared to some of the previous years. Yeah, well, I looked at the pictures, and and you even have one of the extremely rare bulldog cor- corgi. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there there are some non corgis allowed. Infiltrators. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, no, the uh, one of the folks had a, a pair of French bulldogs that were there. Were well, cool. I knew something was weird because these two dogs had legs. Well, there's that too. They they traded in their noses for legs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's get now. to Kevin and the Supreme Court ruling. Kevin and the Supremes. Yeah, I just saw a couple of things in the news. I thought, wow, this is this is important and and perfect for to to talk about. And uh, our, our little podcast here, um, two things out of the Supreme Court, um, one, in my opinion, very good and one very bad. Uh, the, the bad one is that Supreme Court uh, ruled on Internet sales tax. This is something that's been kind of been shaken around the 
coming around down the pike for decades, I think. Uh, states can now charge all online shoppers uh, sales tax. And what that means for people who sell small companies and large companies that, that sell things online is that we will be potentially expected to charge different tax rates for different states, for different counties, for different municipalities, um, and keep track of that and somehow pay into all those different tax sales tax systems, uh, which seems pretty impossible, frankly. Well, and I, I haven't actually read the ruling yet, but wasn't there something about a threshold that you didn't have to do it unless you had something like $200,000 worth of sales? No, I didn't see that. My understanding, yeah. I, I saw that, and my understanding was that it was an example of what one of the states was using as a, uh, as a guideline. But it's certainly not, uh, <clears throat> again, as I understand it, it's not something that was part of the ruling per se. Okay. So, so yeah, so here's my take on the whole thing, just based on the law courses I took in college 20 years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago, and, uh, and, the, and reading some of the ruling and the articles about it and everything like that is, you know, it was a South Dakota law that basically went to the Supreme Court. And they basically upheld the law and said, South Dakota can have this, this law. And the law for South Dakota says that, you know, if you're out of the state, so you're here, say, in Colorado, and you sell into South Dakota, um, it, you have to pay sales tax like you are a business in South Dakota. That actually selling enough stuff in South Dakota warrants a nexus. You don't have to have a place of business there. And the Supreme Court said, you know, their law is really well done and it'll stand. Now, their law includes a bunch of different things, one of which is that you have to sell $10,000 worth of stuff into South Dakota for this to take effect. So if I had, say, you know, a store where I sold widgets and I sold in a given year $1,000 worth of stuff to South Dakota, which probably means I'm selling millions of dollars worth of stuff to the 49 other states, um, then I, you know, it wouldn't be enough. I wouldn't have to worry about South Dakota. But if I'm selling $100,000, sorry, it was $100,000 worth of stuff to South Dakota, then, then I do have to file the paperwork and submit the sales taxes for it. Um, so by the Supreme Court upholding that, that means that basically other states can do similar laws. So they could take South Dakota's law say, we'll do about the same thing, which means that $100,000 is going to move. California wouldn't have a $100,000 limit. They would have a limit many, many times that size, and so would New York State, you know, because the population is that what, much bigger. What's to keep a, a state from Idaho from saying, uh, it's a $50 limit, and then suddenly well, yeah. I've got to deal with Idaho? Because the Supreme Court didn't uphold Idaho's law. So the, so the deal is, is if some other state wants to go out there and say, we're going to do a different law, then that would probably get challenged in court. And it says, you know, saying that this Supreme Court ruling doesn't, it doesn't matter because their law is too different. So a state can play it safe by saying, look, we're going to make a law that's very similar to South Dakota. So any federal court or state court or whoever has to deal with it is going to say, yeah, this law is what the Supreme Court said is okay. But if you go out on a limb and change something enough, like that dollar amount or some other thing about the law, then other courts will say, eh, Supreme Court ruling doesn't apply. Your law is way too different. So, of course, states don't want to waste their time and they're hungry to get this revenue. So they're probably going to want to pass lots of laws that are just like South Dakota's, meaning that a lot of small-time uh, sellers online are not going to have to worry about it. 
And if you make enough that you're selling $100,000 in South Dakota and at $5 million in California and $4 million in New York and all that, you're probably not worrying about it either because you probably are paying somebody to deal with you know, paying all well, the sales tax. You're probably and, Amazon because when you think about yeah. it, honestly, that's probably what South Dakota's original intent was. Yeah. They probably saw Amazon selling way too much into their state, not collecting sales tax, and they said, we've got to do something about it. And of course, the funny thing is, is that Amazon does pay sales tax on almost every state. I don't know if South Dakota is one of those few where they don't, but um, although Amazon, it's weird. Amazon will pay from stuff you buy from Amazon. But a lot of people, when you buy, you know, when you buy from Amazon, you don't realize you're buying from a reseller. Um, the you know, marketplace. Yeah, the market. You know, you just see something, you say, oh, this is the right price, you click, and it's going to arrive in my house in a couple of days. You don't bother to look and says, sold by Joe's, you know, microconductor shop or whatever um so you uh you don't care but when it's some other marketplace shop amazon says not our problem sales tax you got you know that that shop itself has to figure that out and some are big enough that they might others might not so so these places these states are interested in getting that revenue but unfortunately the, you know they're not in the revenue that they originally wanted when they started looking at these laws like 10 years ago um, most of them are getting that now because Amazon is paying those state taxes. I know they definitely do it here in Colorado. And but South Dakota did um, sue several smaller uh, companies that were selling into their state. I think camera companies, things like that, that yeah. certainly exceeded the $10,000 or $100,000 yeah. well, camera threshold. I mean, if you sell high-end cameras, that's yeah. you know, uh, 100 orders. Right. Easy. It's, it's hardly any. So – they do have, you know, these mid-tier companies in their sites, and that's what apparently that they were really pushing on, and uh, that's what went to the Supreme Court. Right, and and now Kevin's question about like what, uh, like you know, how do you pay the taxes? You know, what exactly do you do? Every state's going to have slight differences. So, like one state may say, "Look, here's a base sales tax for the entire state, and you pay it to this one organization, and we'll figure it out." And another and that's state, what Colorado did. Yeah, and another state may say, nope, you're going to have to figure out according to the county and the tax zone and all this stuff. Um, so it's going to be like a just a whole collage of different things. But, nope, you know, it's, it's going to be dealt with by software. You know, everybody goes through a payment system of some sort, some sort of commerce uh, software, and that'll probably be something. I mean, you probably have to pay for it. You probably have to pay like extra for well, the You tax know package. you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll it'll be handled, and I bet you there'll even be companies that'll spring up, like their payroll companies now. They handle all there. the payroll stuff. Yeah, so, so Av- that's what- Avalara, I think, is one of them that that specializes in this. The reason I know about it is because Washington, at least internally, and there's no there's no limit. Um, I think I've spoken about this before on the show that um, we have destination based sales tax. So if you ship within the you know within the state, if you're a state run, you know, if you're a company running within the state and you're shipping to somewhere else within the state of Washington, you are required to calculate the sales tax based on where you're shipping to. And as you point out, there's like hundreds of different, thousands of different taxing authorities and tax rates and so forth. And yes, third-party companies have already sprung up for this. Avalara, like I said, is one of them. The problem is if this ever reaches the small business level, um, gets costly. That adds significant, a significant burden to the small business owner. So I'm glad to hear that, the, uh, that there is this limit, at least, 
uh, and it's a fairly large one from you know from a dollar perspective, at least from a small small business uh, small business perspective. And I think the Supreme Court pointed out that that was that was a very important part of their decision. You know that it was a reasonable thing because that that's, that was one of the minuses here is how do small businesses deal with it? And right. South Dakota said hundred thousand dollar limit, and the Supreme Court said that seems reasonable, meaning that you know there's kind of a precedent set now that other states better also include that kind of thing, or you know, the, you know they can't do this. Right. There was a thing. I mean, from the the earliest days of of internet commerce, there, there's sort of been a from the the internet utopian people's like, oh, you know, internet's its own thing and it should be, you know, free of regulation and free of taxes. And, and it was only a matter of time before this law or something like this happened, because uh, despite what uh, folks want, (laughs) it's just, there's too much money here on the internet for people to, uh, you know, buying and selling things. And, and uh, I don't know, I just feel like, it was inevitable, but sort of sad that we should get here. Yeah, there's that. And, and to be fair, again, with that limit in place, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Really. Now, now, I wonder what's going to happen with, you know, there's various types of things you can buy online. For instance, something you buy and you ship, like a camera, say. That's Tangible pretty straight goods. Forward. Yeah. And then there's stuff like buying services. And then there's stuff like buying memberships. And, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, what gets taxed and what doesn't is the, uh, is the thing. So yeah. Like are apps going to be taxed? Right. Well, they I mean, already, they, could... they already are. They definitely. Um, I mean, I see, you know, I think I see that come through when you buy stuff. I know when you buy movie, you rent movies and buy movies on iTunes and stuff that gets uh, tax added on. When I buy uh, cloud storage, I see tax. Mm. that so there's stuff like that but like if you're joining like a membership you know you're paying membership dues to say netflix yeah or netflix or to like say if you're a uh you know you you run a bookstore and there's a national association of you know bookstores or something like that you join that it's like an online thing um you know where does it where does it stop and there's also there are places where food is taxed and not, there's places where it's not taxed. There's places where clothing is not taxed and some places where it is. So like if you sell stuff and that stuff includes cameras and it includes t-shirts and, you know, do you, but there's a county in Pennsylvania that does not have a, ta- you know, says clothing is not taxable. Then how do you know that? How do you categorize that and make sure you don't pay sales taxes on the t-shirt? It's a logistical nightmare. Yeah, it's it's tough, but um, you know, again, I think software, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of these companies that do it, uh, it would be great to have them just handle everything. Like, you pay a certain amount, they and you give them your spreadsheet or you know whatever of sales numbers, and they figure it all out, and they also insure you, basically saying, look, if they, some county comes after you because we didn't pay enough, uh, it's our fault, and we'll take Actually, care of it. It can't be uh, something as simple as just give them your spreadsheet. It actually has to be real-time information provided at time of sale because you need to know how much tax to charge the person who's about to hit uh, buy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> there, not every All place right. in the world does it that way, and not every store does it that way too. A lot There are places that and, and shops and stuff I've seen 
that just charge flat amounts and then calculate sales tax afterwards, you know, build in that sales tax. Well, and there's, con- there's countries that, that actually can't say, you know, the U.S. is, I think, is unusual in that we'll say, here's the price, you know, and you have people from other countries coming as tourists and saying, it said it was $10, but then I paid $10.70. I don't understand. Because in their country, it would say $10. That meant it was really $9 and some. And the sales tax, and by law, the price on it has to be after sales tax, right. which is a great consumer law to right. not hide that. But the United States does it. Well, you know, and it also assumes there's exactly only one taxing district so that when you're sending our things around within that country, there's no difference. Yeah. But it's like, okay, you're in Colorado. Well, the price for you is this much. The price for, you know, Kevin in Portland, well, I got a deal for him because he doesn't get, you have to pay sales tax. I mean, it gets, it, the, the, it moves the complication, but it doesn't remove it. Thanks for listening to the Tax Enthusiast Hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the other, if I can move on, the other Supreme yeah. Court decision, <laughs> which came down, uh, which affects techies. I uh, like this one a lot, though. Yeah, yeah. In, in ruling on cell phone location data, Supreme Court makes statement on digital privacy. Uh, and the New York Times says in a major statement on privacy in the digital age, the Supreme Court ruled on Friday that the government generally needs a warrant to collect troves of location data about the customers of cell phone companies. Troves. Troves. I, a word like that just really gets my hackles up. So they can do it one at a time as long as they're not getting troves. And well, do they have a legal definition of a trove? I, I, I believe the, the, the trove is is if if you need information about something, you can go get a get a, a, a warrant for that person or that cell phone you want to track, but you don't get to just dig through uh, metadata on millions of calls and look for interesting stuff. Yeah. That's a fishing expedition. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good news for, for everybody. I mean, whether you're ever, cause everyone has a cell phone and, uh, and just having uh, the FBI or police or whatever it is, just, getting their paws in there and just digging through everything looking for trouble is, uh, is just less, uh, less privacy. Oh, less is this us. a precedent? Do you think? Well, it's the Supreme court. It's the Supreme yeah. court. By definition it is, I guess. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends once again on how specific things were written up. Yeah. Right. But yes. Look, I'm taking it as good news on a hard week. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it, it reminds me of something I've been wanting to talk about, and that is fingerprint sensors and phones, mm. because the government cannot compel you to give them a password to your phone, but they can compel you to let them have your finger or use of your finger to unlock your phone. Yikes. So I won't even do <laughs> to be a clear, fingerprint you, lock. The finger can't must remain attached. One hopes. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, I can't remember where it was, but there was even one police department who uh, tried to open a dead guy's phone by taking the phone to the funeral parlor and putting his finger on it, seeing if they could unlock his phone. You know if it worked? Does that work? It did not. Huh. It's probably the time limit. Yeah, I mean, there's, such, there's a time limit on that, you know, and so you, you got to, you can't let the phone sit for a couple of days and, can't let the finger sit for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But like Randy, I, I just, for the heck of it, I, I took the same approach. I've got this wonderful fingerprint sensor that, you know, to be honest on a previous phone, I had it enabled and it was darned convenient. But then I heard about this and I said, yeah, you know, I'll type a pin. Yeah. And I don't have anything to hide, but you know, I just don't like the idea exactly. of say a cop on a traffic stop saying, give me your phone. Yeah. Well, you know, on the on the iPhone, there's the the the, fl- the five click situation, which is a, a new feature, and I I don't think you're an iPhone guy. Uh, five Randy. click. But yeah, the five. Yeah, click. you could just so it it disables uh, both Face ID and Touch ID. Um, you know, if you click the uh, side button five times, uh, so that it locks down the phone and locks it to, down. You have to enter a password to get in next time, so the, the fingerprint will not work. So the cop can't just hold the phone up to your face. Right. Yeah, yeah. and there's a bunch of other things. you. I mean, just by restarting the phone, you can't use either of those two ID methods the first time. You have to use... Right, which actually turns out to be true for Android phones, or at least my Android phone as well. Yeah. If you reboot the phone, um, it only accepts the pin to unlock it. Yeah, it's good, good practice, so... Yep. Yeah. All right, what's next? Well, let's see. Oh, uh, Kevin. Oh, yeah. It's all, yeah all Kevin, Kevin hasn't had, had a chance to talk much lately. Well, he, he wasn't here last week, so he has to make up for so, it. Okay. Yeah, I want to hear this. Oh, this makes me so angry. I do. I'm this angry is crazy. I don't even know what it's about. Oh, it's, it's mm, yeah, you should be angry. <laughs> so, okay, so Twitter bought a company, uh, uh, called, a company called Smite. And, and the, the Smite company uh, addressed... Uh, issues related to online abuse and harassment and spam. And it was basically a, a, an, an API that other companies could, you know, buy into the service to. And big that. companies like Zendesk were using yeah, it. Some big companies were using this. Uh, and basically a, a, an API to help, help search for abuse and, and, and harassment and spam and, and security problems. And Twitter bought the company and shut it down like that. Just, shut off all their, their customers, uh, GoFundMe and TaskRabbit and meetup.com and 99designs and Zendesk and a bunch of other companies that you've heard of. And, and some of these companies had three-year contracts and all of a sudden the service was just gone. Sort of just like, thank you, have a nice day. It's ours now. Take our ball and go home. And, and they gave some of the companies like 10 or 50 minutes notice, something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, so, no possible so chance of getting something else in place. No, huh. no. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, I mean, was the idea that they bought it because they, they wanted this API, but they don't want to make it a service? Or I think they wanted to use it for themselves. Just, yeah, okay. So it's not like they shut it down and said, and we just wanted to be evil and shut it down so no one can have this. Right. But, but there was no reason to yeah. keep anybody else from using it, especially when, you know, they had contracts. Yeah, they should have they yeah. should have stayed, you know, they should have closed it to new customers and to recontract renewals, but played out the contracts for, you know, the maximum amount of time. I hope they uh, sue and get some, uh, at least get their money, just money back. It's been taken to task many times over the past few months for not dealing with, harassment and online abuse and 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 problem users well that's why they bought this company yeah, yeah, problem solved. They bought this company but other companies also have these problems and that's why they outsourced this service <laughs> and just to have it just be unplugged um you know i just i i really have a problem with companies that 
buy other companies and just shut them down without warning, especially, and this is in this case, not, this is not one of those cases, but especially companies that have user content, um, forums or people have uploaded thousands of pictures or, or articles, articles or, 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 uh, you know, fan fiction or whatever it is. Yeah. They, they, they buy a site and just shut it down and, and, throw all of the user generated content away. And this, this is not that situation, but it reminds me of, of those many times when, when that sort of thing happens. This is what that scenario that you just outlined is one of the reasons that, especially for um, small business owners and that kind of stuff who I, who I've written uh, articles about, you know, what you want to put on the web, where you want to put it and so forth. Um, it all comes back to backing up. Make sure that you've got your content saved in another place so that if your provider, whatever that provider might be, whether it be a a file sharing service or a web host provider or whatever, suddenly goes away without warning because as we've seen, it does happen. Um, You at least have the opportunity to recover what you have somewhere else. Yep. It's funny because I, I did run into um, a quote, and I'm not sure exactly who it was from, uh, from one of, the, one of the guys up at Twitter. So, yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Good, good point. Um, his, he did make the comment that basically, yeah, we could have handled this better. But he didn't offer to change anything, right? I mean, it was just like, yeah, we could have done this better. Okay. Mm. Thanks for noticing, but no thanks. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Gary, let's talk about scooters instead. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys have caught wind of this story out of my city here, Denver, um, and uh, but it's just been fascinating. It's been like one of the things that have gripped the city uh, in the last few weeks. It's this whole thing about scooters. So here's what here's what happened, and this is great because this is like an enthusiast story. This is has a good ending, I think. Um, a few weeks ago, out of nowhere, a whole bunch of scooters appeared downtown. Now by scooters, I mean those little things that are kind of like skateboards on the bottom, and there's a stick that comes out with handlebars, and uh, so you stand on it, and then it's elect- they're electric, so then you you know you twist the handle and it goes forward, and um, a whole bunch of them appeared downtown all over the place, and you needed an app basically to use them, so you would you know see these scooters lying around, say what's this about, you look at the name of the app and the URL on there, and you download it. And then you could set up an account and basically rent one, the scooter that was right there on the ground in front of you and use it to get around downtown, you know, to, to scoot along, <laughs> motorized, you know, 10 blocks instead of walking the 10 blocks to wherever you were going. And uh, then all, a whole bunch of weird stuff happened because, first of all, one day all these scooters from one company showed up and the next day all these scooters from a second company showed up. Okay. So that was cute. The fir- well, first company was Lime Bike. And, and, you know, they have bikes that have a similar system. Uh, and they, but now they're doing scooters too. And the other one's a company called Bird. And what makes them a little weird and different is they're, they're, there's no stations for them. They just, they're just lying there on the ground. And you pick one up and you use it. And when you get to wherever you're going, you just leave it lying there on the ground. Um, the app is, you know, key without the app, you can't unlock the scooter. So the scooter won't go. And in fact, if you try to pick it up and walk away with it, an alarm will go off, um, very loud alarm. So it kind of, uh, deters theft. Um, and, uh, and clearly they're hooked up to the internet so they yeah. can 
track yeah. and find out where it is anyway. Yeah, they're hooked up to somehow, you know, wireless or whatever. And uh, and so, yeah, so you go into the app and you could find where one is and it'll say, you know, there's one on the map, you know, one block from you here that's available and you could go up to it and, and then use that scooter and then go where you want and then leave it and, and all of that. So the, so the thing is that they didn't ask anybody's permission for this. They just dropped all these scooters in downtown Denver. The city knew nothing about it. Matter of fact, nobody knew anything about it. They just appeared there. So they were kind of a sensation. Everybody was like, have you seen these? You got to try them. And people were having a blast, having lots of fun. Um, people couldn't figure out, are these supposed to be on the street? Or are these supposed to be in bike lanes? Or are these supposed to be on the sidewalk? You know, what's the deal? And of course, the city bureaucracy hated them. And a certain portion of the population also hated them. So there were a lot of people talking about like, these are just horrible. They didn't ask the city's permission. They just need to be removed and fined and jailed and everything. Mm -hmm. And the city was um, said, you know, basic first they said, well, you can't use them on the sidewalk. And then they said, you can't use them on the street. And then they finally came up with the ruling as well. You can use them on the sidewalk, but you actually can't use them because they need to be regulated and they didn't ask for permission. And these scooter companies basically did this because there was no rule saying they couldn't. So the legality was kind of weird because the city was like, you just can't do this. And the scooter companies were kind of like, where does it say that? <laughs> you know, there's no law. Right. So, you're allowed to have scooters and you're allowed, allowed to have scooters and have startups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the city got, so the city did actually the, the regu- the transportation regulation board or whatever, whatever they're called did decide that these were illegal and the scooter companies did nothing. You know, they said, no, they're not. And then just didn't bother to do anything. Um, so you had a lot of division, people saying they loved them, people saying they hated them uh, and the city saying they hated them. And the upshot was that somehow there was a negotiation that must have gone on somewhere where all of a sudden the city came out and said, here's a bunch of rules and regulations we just threw together mm. and it'll start in two weeks. So the end of this month. And, um, and then suddenly the scooter companies who are completely unresponsive to removing them suddenly said, okay, and we'll, we'll remove them till that day that it starts. So mm. obviously they were kind of in on the negotiation. So the deal was that if they had come to the city without doing this and said, this is what we'd like to do. I like pretty good odds that they would never have been given permission to do it. Or if they had, it would have mm-hmm. taken months or years for the details to be hashed out. And probably it's easier to get forgiveness than yeah, exactly. This is a, a, an ideal because it happened fast. It was like a month from them just doing this to now having a whole thing set up. They forced the city to act fast and think like a startup and they probably got a much better deal than if they had asked permission. They probably would have gotten like special taxes and fees yeah, and yeah. all this mess. Um, the tech is really cool. I, I know I never got a chance to try one, even though I saw them all over the place. Uh, you know, uh, I'm definitely going to try one as soon as they come back. Um, they actually, one of the two companies, I don't, I don't know which, is doing an interesting thing to recharge them. Instead of them collecting them and recharging them and putting them back on the street, they're just doing it as a gig. So you could go into the app and say, I'd like to recharge some of these. And you could pick them up, stick them in your car with, you know, using the app saying, you know, you're a recharger or whatever, bring them home, recharge them, and then put them back on the street and you get paid oh, neat. to do it. So there's, there was one guy. I was guy, wondering how they did that. Well, at least one of the, I think the other company, they're actually picking them up and charging them, you know, at night and then dropping them back off. But, but there was like one guy reported making a thousand bucks 
over the period of about 10 days of just picking up scooters, bringing them into his house, charging them up, and dropping them back off after they're charged up. And somebody pointed out that, you know, well, all your time running around the city and the gasoline and the neglect. And wait till you get your electric bill. Yeah, and all that. You know, you may, it's not as much as you think, but, um, so, but I don't know. It's still I read an interesting article this weekend. I, I think it was in New York Times, but I, I can't find it now, about uh, scooters in in, a, in one particular city, I, I assume somewhere in New York, and how some of the people hated them. And the, the company, uh, the startup kept finding scooters thrown into dumpsters and scooters put into trees. <laughs> I think that was San Francisco, actually. Was it? Yeah, I, I've seen the same thing here in Seattle area with uh, with just the bikes. Line bike is out here. Yeah. And there's, a, there's this beautiful, beautiful picture that somebody shared, I think on social media somewhere, where it's this wonderful water scene. And if you look closely, there's a line bike in the water. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's something here in, in Portland. There's uh, Nike has bicycles that you can rent. And they did it with the full permission of, of the city. Um, I think it's called Bike Town or something like that. Bikey Town, I don't know. And there's these bright yellow, bright orange bicycles that are available. And you're, and you're supposed to get them from certain spots and then return them to other spots. Uh, but they're using... They've, they've contracted with the city to get parking spots. So they'll be like, this used to be a perfectly good parking spot for a car, and now it's filled with a row of 15 bicycles in our little rental kiosk. And, of course, some of the drivers don't like that because parking is already at a premium. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're not not happy with, with that. But they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that here, too. I think a lot of those people that didn't like these scooters, you know, they just don't, I don't know, they don't like change or they don't like the idea that right? there was a lot of false information. I noticed there were people that had posted, uh, somebody had posted online? that they, false information. Yeah, well, somebody had posted that they were blot all over, over all over downtown blocking sidewalks, making sidewalks impassable and all this stuff. And then other people coming on and saying, I live and work downtown right in the heart of where all these bike, these scooters are. And that's not happening. <laughs> I, you know, and then people calling this person out. They probably, probably hasn't even been downtown, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's the same thing with the line bikes. There's a, they're not a lot in Denver. They are in our sister city of Aurora next door. And there, there were people complaining about like a whole bunch of these were on my front lawn. Uh, you know, people left them there. And it starts, started to get a little doubtful that people were actually going out of their way to like leave these bikes on other people's front lawns for no reason all the time. Um, it's just like people were looking for something to complain about and said, well, you can't prove that they weren't on my front lawn. So I'll say that just to get some, I don't know, get off, get off my lawn, you know, that kind of thing. Old, old folks stuff. So, uh, yeah, but I like it. It's progress. It's fun. It certainly made downtown seem pretty interesting and lively. And I'll probably use them to get to the ballpark. There's <laughs> always something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, Randy, what you got? So, last year I wrote about this interesting case. It was a home invasion robbery in Iowa. And the interesting thing was that Sherman Hopkins, who was 43 at the time, the robber, Uh, What he was after was he forced the victim to log on to his computer and tried to coerce him to transfer an internet domain name. And it was a big 
mystery at the time as to what the domain was. They weren't saying. Uh, and the guy has now been sentenced to 20 years in federal prison, and they have said now what the domain was. And you guys have any idea what would be so um, important Porn. that and, – and, the, the guy resisted. Yeah, there's even more to this story. The, the victim resisted and got shot in the leg, got the gunman's gun away from him and shot him back twice. And so this must be just, you know, it must be sex.com or something, something hugely valuable, right? Porn. Like I said, porn. No, it was doitforstate.com. And that's apparently a, a meme from Iowa State University where students are supposed Supposed to shout do it for state when watching other students do things they'd certainly regret. So I guess this guy was really into it. And I just thought it was fascinating that somebody thought that they could actually get away with somebody else's domain name by pointing a gun at them. It doesn't really work that way. Hmm. So uh, I know we, we tend, we, we try to avoid politics here. And I, I definitely am not trying to get into that. But I will tell anybody who's ever considering purchasing a domain, make sure you get some of the important variations. Um, <laughs> Trumphotels.com is probably what you'd expect. Trumphotels.org is not. And it was one of those things where somebody in the organization just failed to think it through, and they ended up purchasing um, that domain for like 10 bucks and uh, throwing something that is definitely not Trumpish. Onto yeah, the, the Trump organization owns, according to a report I saw, 3,000 domains, including things like Trump sucks, which is a very typical thing for companies to do. Very typical thing for people to do, absolutely. Yeah. I can believe that. I own like 700, and I'm just a guy. So <laughs> this, this is one of those things where um, there's this really, really obvious low-hanging fruit that they happen to overlook. And, uh, yeah, it's an opportunity for someone to go in and – cause some um, some grief. Problem is there's so many of these, you know, top level domains now. It's like what do you do? You do you buy fifty or hundred different, you know, dot biz, dot co, dot uh, man. Yeah, so. it's it's interesting. I, I actually went so far as to get um, like for Ask Leo, I think I own dot <clears throat> com of course, dot net dot org. Um, dot org is the one that people tend to overlook. Um, and that's the one that uh, is probably the easiest to uh, to go cause trouble with. Um, I did end up buying .co just because of the typo squatting thing, a possible thing where somebody is is just forgets the M at the end. But when you think about it, down that path leads leads to madness. Um, <laughs> I absolutely have done exactly the same thing as you, Leo, for my important domain names .com, .net, .org, .co, and that's really about it. Right. And, uh, that's, I mean, it's all you can do. You can't protect everything. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's just madness to try and protect every possible typo. Not and sometimes incredibly expensive. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I get fun uh, spam-ish emails from companies in China saying, like, someone in China is trying to register, you know, Savitz.China or CN or CN, whatever. Yeah. 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 And, I get those all the time. Yeah, and and... You know, I, of course, it's probably not true at all, but they, they were just, you know, helpfully reaching out to me to see if I wanted to buy it. Before. Oh, for, for, for a mere, you know, 75 bucks a year or something. Right. Yeah. The ones that I love are, um, we've noticed you've got this domain. 
we were offering to buy, you know, to sell you this other domain that's somewhat related. Mm -hmm. And I got one of those a while back. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the person who was making the offer did not own the domain. Mm -hmm. The domain was just freely available. So they acted more as a free notification service. <laughs> I've done that exact same thing. Most of the time, I'm just like, I, I don't really care. I wouldn't have, but, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I'll, I'll pay the $8 and buy it myself. Thank you very exactly. much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and very often, there are domains that expired, but they're still in their redemption period. And I actually uh, just put it in my calendar, you know, when the redemption period was up to go buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did. So yeah. the one the example I'm thinking of was late last year and it wasn't even that. It was just like there for anybody to grab. That's awesome. I did. Yeah. Well it's speaking not, it's of not such a bad things, arbitrage business really is is I mean, if you don't mind tricking people, is to, you know, buy something for ten dollars and resell it for seventy five. It's right. Yeah. It's almost providing a useful service. So Kevin, are you ready to do a sound effect? I, I'm ready. It's time for I guess I wasn't ready. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Breach of the week. Breach of the week. Sorry. Oh, that was weak. That was weak. So there's a restaurant chain. Um, I'm trying to remember here. Oh, they're in Durham, North Carolina, called PDQ. And it's another case of a cyber attack on their computer systems, allowed hackers to gain access, yada, yada. The thing I, well, like about this one, I, try, I mean, these things are common enough now that I try and figure out exactly what makes each breach a little breach, breach a little bit unique. Um, this one, the breach lasted from May nineteenth, two thousand seventeen, to April twentieth, twenty eighteen. So, for the better part of a year, hackers were able to access customers' credit card information. Um, I'm not planning on being there anytime soon, but I suspect that I might avoid the restaurant for a little while longer while they shore up their uh, their system security. Yeah, they're in m- multiple states, um, b- real big in Florida, and Are they? mostly toward before, so yeah. toward the east and, and northwest. But uh, yeah, they're just a, they're this chicken restaurant. I thought it, when I first saw the article that they were uh, the PDQ supermarket chain or convenience store chain, but no, this is a restaurant that uh, has locations in a bunch of different states and. Uh, it is very surprising that they just didn't notice for a year, for close to a year. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's also not that terribly uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, the advice that they um, that's included, and of course, as always, we'll have a link to the article we're quoting from here in the in the show notes. But the restaurant said in a statement that people should remain vigilant in reviewing their account statements closely, monitor their free credit reports, and report any unauthorized charges to their card issuer immediately. You know. That's just good advice, period. Whether you have any suspicion that you've been affected by a breach or not, pay attention to your statements. Grab a free credit report. They're really easy these days. I actually signed up with Credit Karma um, a couple of years ago now, and it's kind of nice to be able to go in there periodically. Sometimes your credit reports now are becoming... um, um, bonuses or features of various credit cards or banking relationships you may already have. So it might be worth checking with your existing providers. You probably don't need to spend any money to get some of these additional credit reports and information about the state of your credit. And as always, whenever you review your credit card statements or any transaction information, report the unauthorized charges to the card issuer. Just do it. 
uh, chances are uh, you won't get charged for it. And it helps them identify things like somebody's been breached for the better part of a year. And if enough people had reported it, maybe they would have all pointed to the same place. Breach of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and shockingly, I don't carefully review my credit card statements. Instead, what's your credit card number? Yeah, let me me tell you. Uh, Instead, I have them email me, or in the case of Amex, text me anytime there's any charge of a penny or more. Yep, that's my number one piece of advice I give people about this type of security. And and I've seen probes where somebody just charged like five cents, which is really weird. If they're going to charge, why don't they just charge? But they wanted to see if that card was good. And sure enough, actually, I didn't have to report it because the credit card company said, oh, this is suspicious. Right. You're not going to charge five cents. I've had that exact same thing happen with American Express. The problem with American Express is that I don't think they will um, uh, let you set a one penny limit. There's some, it's it's a small limit, but there's a, there's a, a it's note. A dollar. It's a dollar. It's my, it might be something yeah. like a dollar. And diff- different companies will do different things. And right. some of them don't offer it at all, in which case I would suggest getting a different credit card. Which is something that actually I've been doing. I've, I, you know, I've currently got the Amazon Prime Visa card for a variety of reasons. And yes, I get an email on every transaction. I get a text alert on transactions over a certain amount of money. It's great. I love that. The credit card that I had been using from my bank doesn't offer that. So I'm actually uh, in the process of making that one go away. So let that be a warning to the smaller credit card companies that aren't doing it. You need to. Well, what's interesting too, there really aren't any small credit card companies. True. What there are are service providers because my bank is getting it from one of these service providers. It's, you know, it's a small, it's a local-ish bank. It's not one of the national chains. But what that means is that there are other local-ish banks across the country that are also using the same service provider. So you may never have heard of them, but they're probably pretty big. And you'd think that they'd be able to offer these kind of features. One would hope that eventually they will, because as Gary pointed out, it's one of the best pieces of advice for also managing your, uh, your credit. In other things, so this one actually came up, came up today. Um, I am quoting from, or I was looking at TechCrunch, but it's been reported in several different places. Uh, Google Earth, if you're familiar with Google Earth, it's different than Google Maps. It's actually either an app or, as it turns out now, an in-browser application that lets you navigate the Earth. It starts you with a globe and spins you around to wherever it is you want to look, lets you zoom in and zoom out. There's a wonderful 3D uh, option that is actually amazingly, given the data that they have, the satellite images that they have, their ability to make 3D like images out of it is pretty darn cool. It's, it's a very cool app, and it's been around for several years. It has been. And they've been quietly, well, two things have been happening. One is they've been quietly adding features to Google Maps so that Google Earth hasn't been quite as, you know, leaps and bounds different than Google Maps. Google Maps has kind of sort of been catching up. But they um, announced one here today that I just found incredibly useful. Uh, It is now trivial to measure distances on the map. And if you trace a path using this distance measurement tool, it will, and then close the path, in other words, 
have it you know come all the way back to like the a start. square or something a square or in my case say your property line um, it will then tell you uh, in square feet as it turns out or square meters uh, the area of the enclosed uh, diagram with the enclosed the area that you've enclosed I just find that so incredibly cool and it's it's an amazing it's an amazing real time if you can you can drag the lines around and watch the numbers change as you do so it's it's actually like I said very impressive Google Earth is very cool as Randy was saying but uh, it seems to finally be getting a little bit cooler as well so the the approach that I ran the the demo that I ran and did this on is in the Chrome the Google Chrome browser that's where it probably works the most effectively um, it's also available as a standalone app on uh, Android, and I'm pretty sure for iPhone as well. I don't think it's the kind of a thing that will work as well in other browsers. So if nothing else, it is a, a pretty good reason to at least have Google Chrome installed on your machine so you can play around with it. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, you could, I could see this one being something where you end up wasting an awful lot of time navigating the world and seeing what's going on. And interestingly, uh, Google just came out with a new uh, Android app called Measure, which uses artificial reality algorithms to, you can point your phone camera at something and say, how big is this? Or how long is this? How tall is it? And I'm not sure how well that works. I mean, I've done a, you know, I just started playing with it today and, and uh, it's very quick. I said, how, how long? wide is this and bang it gave me a, a measurement what i haven't done yet is like pointed at a mountain or something like that and see what it comes up with yeah i've got the same thing installed for um it does have a requirement of the hardware so it's not going to work on every android phone right but you're right i've got that same question okay just how accurate is it really and i haven't taken the time to do the test the one thing that annoyed me ever so slightly is that um gosh what was it you you set what you want measured uh, by moving endpoints around a grid. And there was some kind of a, a tool tip or an indicator or something that was covering up the right hand indicator. So I had a, I had a hard time actually seeing where I was dropping one end of the measurement bar, but uh, certainly in, uh, in practice, it's, it's a pretty cool application of VR technology in a way that, um, you know, is again, very useful. It's handy now to have this bizarre measuring tool in your pocket along with everything else. Yeah, I was so, strangely enough that we're talking about this, is I did a video today uh, for my Patreon people of using the new Measure app on iOS 12. Mm. And, and the thing is, it's like, I, I'm, I like the idea, but it's not accurate enough for anything I could think of. Uh, like, for instance, I just uh, tried measuring the door in my office. And it was definitely off by at least an inch, maybe two or three inches, which for anything having to do with the door, having just put a couple of doors in, in my basement, it's like, you can't be off by more than an eighth of an inch, really. If you're trying to measure a door to like go out and get a door or cut wood for a door or something like that. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you would. So Gary, is that a, an iOS, um, built-in app or is that yeah it, okay. it's, a, it's a new thing in ios 12 you know which is now on so Google. maybe that's where google got the idea yeah i mean I, I mean it's part of the you know not not so much vr but ar you know augmented reality right. and it is it is kind of neat in terms of um 
you, you know, I mean, one of the things people take for granted, I don't know if the Android app does this, but in using AR, if I measure like from my light fixture in the center of my room to the floor, um, it'll give me an estimate of the distance from the floor to the ceiling right there at the light fixture. But if I keep looking through the camera and I walk around the room, the line stays where, you know, between the light fixture and the floor. So I can kind of walk around this line that's hanging in space, visible only through my phone's, you know, screen, um, which is really kind of neat uh, to have this thing in space. You know, it's part of the a AR thing. You know, you can play like pool. There's a game, uh, you know, a typical example is a game where a pool table appears and you can only see it through your iPhone screen. But you can walk around the pool table. It's full size. And, you know, you could, you know, use controls to actually hit the balls and stuff like that. And it kind of gives you the sense that this pool table is there when it's not. It's, uh, it's kind of really I, cool. I think that's an early uh, example of something that's going to be really cool in about 20 or 30 iterations. Yeah. I mean, even, even something, oh, you know, so they have something even better is like a chessboard. Um, but the idea is so, you know, you have two people with iPhones, but you don't have a chessboard and you, and you feel like, you don't want to stare at your phones. You know, well, you're going to be staring at your phone. But you know, you want to you get this feeling that there's a chess board on the table between you. You could do that using the phone and make the moves. And as you're looking through the phone, you see the chess board as if it's on the table, and so does your opponent. Um, so I don't know, kind of kind of interesting. I'd like this idea of having maybe every board game in existence, you know, as software but it really feels like it's really there when you're playing. Sounds like a real opportunity for somebody who, you know, has, I don't know, experiences with doing game apps or oh, something. No, it's already big. Yeah, no, there's tons of people working on this stuff. This stuff is, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's already, it's a bunch of apps that do kind of things like this, but, but I think every, every brand that has a, you know, a popular board game or something is probably going to be coming out with an AR version in probably the next two years. Very cool stuff. Yeah, stuff to be enthusiastic about. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I know that my phone is is my like I've said before. I, I use it least as a phone, um, but as a as a I never do that yeah. <laughs> as a pocket computer, so to speak. It is uh, pretty darned amazing, and not the least use of which is uh, as a toy, just to play with these kinds of things and see what the, uh, the latest app and the latest, uh, the latest technology innovation is going to, uh, how useful it's going to be. Like I said, the, the measuring app, I never expected it to be terribly accurate, but certainly to give you things like order of magnitude from a distance, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep. So, so what's going on this week, guys? Gary, where are you headed? Uh, yeah, I, I'll uh, finally miss an episode next week. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Uh, my and my family's annual pilgrimage to the uh, great Ocean City, New Jersey. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to the beach, just the opposite side of the country from you, uh -huh. Leo. Uh, but we we meet my my East Coast family in the wholesome, dry town of Ocean City, New Jersey, um, which is nice, you know, boardwalk and and sand and surf and uh, stuff like that. So looking forward to that, catching up with some of my relatives there. Cool. Yeah. Kevin? Uh, I'm probably going to spend some of this week uh, 
preparing for my trip to uh, the Kansas Fest Apple II conference, which I'll, I'll be at in uh, three weeks from today. It will not be at that episode for sure because I'll be geeking it out with the Apple II people. I'm giving uh, three presentations at at the show, so I'm probably going to have to like research and write those in the next couple of weeks. So. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. I think I told you guys before, my very first computer, the computer I very first owned was an Apple II. Mm. So, nice. Way back in the day. What'd you do with it? Were you programming or games or what? how were you using it? I was putzing, putzing around with it. I mean, I was learning how to program um, at school and uh, I suddenly decided assembly language was kind of cool and 6502 stuff was good, you know, poking around with that. And, um, and of course, things like, uh, what was it? Star Trek? They have a Star Trek game for that one? I think sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Randy, what are you up to? I'm going to be uh, heading to Indianapolis for the Mensa conference, and I will not be here next week. So we're going to be short staff. Maybe we can uh, bring in a guest host or something. And uh, I'll still be on the road uh, the week after that. So I'm a little unclear whether I'll be available or not, but I'll take my microphone with me so I can have the opportunity if I'm in a place where I can do it. Well, I'm going to be here next week, but who knows? It might just be me and Kevin or whoever mm-hmm. else we can <laughs> round up to do things. Um, I'm still in the process of just catching up from being away from for a week. I think I mentioned, I may have mentioned last week, I can't remember, that my backing up with Windows 10 book needs to be updated because he says to do, updated their user interface, and that's kind of a section of the book. So I'm heads down in my computer this week doing stuff. So I think unlike that, any other week, huh? Well, you know, certainly unlike last week. I mean, yes, I, w- I had connectivity. I had my, my little uh, MiFi with me, and we were staying on top of things like uh, uh, email and certainly posting corgi pictures to Facebook, those kinds of things. But uh, the, the motivation for actually creating content and answering questions wasn't quite as high as it would normally be. Yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps us up, guys. Yep. All right. I think that was a very interesting episode. So if you want to know what the links are, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh29. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.